the height, they must have had 500 submarines in service. At the best, we have about 130 submarines in service, 150, some number like that. And the way that we make up for, for lack of numbers is much better technology. We push the technology as hard as we can. American scientists' first great success is powering subs with nuclear reactors. Now, U.S. subs can stay under longer and range farther. Then, in the late 50s, they figure out how to fire ballistic missiles from subs. This gives the U.S. a huge advantage in the Cold War. A missile hidden in the deep ocean on a submarine is virtually unstoppable. But in short order, the Soviets are doing the same. The Navy responds with smaller, quieter attack subs that can track the Russian missile boats around the world. The goal, should war break out, to destroy the Soviet subs before their missiles are launched. I immediately made an assumption that it happened perhaps in shallow water. Uh, jumped in the car, drove over to the uh, develop, excuse me, the development group headquarters. Went in to offer what help I could could give, and they just said it was too deep. We'd lost a hundred good friends. and the USS Thresher was conducting deep dive tests east of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Early that morning, Lieutenant Commander John Wesley Harvey, who had been with the Navy service for 13 years, he left Maine to join up with the submarine rescue ship, USS Skylark. The Lieutenant Commander is brimming with anxiety, for within deep dive tests, plenty issues can arise with no chance of rescue. The first test dive was of no consequence. The USS Thresher surfaced after a quick trim dive test. After a short respite and replenishing air, the sub dove for her ill-fated second dive at 600 feet. She kept the depth overnight before commencing her deep dive tests at 6.30 a.m. As the sub slowly spiraled down to its scheduled depth, she paused every 100 feet, testing the communications. Eventually, they got more gurgled the deeper they tread. Fear sparked within each sailor's eyes every time the hole creaked under the immense pressure. As she edged closer to her test depth, the pressure on the outside of the boat was 37 times what it is at sea level, temperature just above freezing. The crew could sense something was about to go severely wrong. Communications were too distorted to be properly heard by Skylark, but it was able to pick up a small amount of garbled reports, minor difficulties, have positive up angle, 
attempting to blow. The last voice transmission heard from Thresher was only a number. 900. 900. period of two years at Portsmouth Naval Shipyard, the SSN-593, a nuclear-powered general-purpose attack submarine, was made for the hunt and destruction of Soviet subs. Not to be confused with the other aptly named USS Thresher or SS-200. The Permit class, previously known as Thresher class before the sinking of SSN-593, were the fastest and quietest built for its time. As the lead boat of her class, SSN-593 had few of the improvements that her successors had. Sometimes, as the lead ship, it is easier for the Navy to build exact copies of the current design, and with time, they discover flaws in the copies that are promptly fixed and discovered. Generally, the second and third boats in construction are completed before the first ever is. SS Thresher conducted her first sea trials after being commissioned in 1961, and over a period of two years she was ordered through a thorough evaluation of her improved and technologically advanced weapons and systems. One of the new improvements was a United States Navy's brand new innovation in anti-submarine missiles. The UUM-44, or Subrock, which could be launched from the standard 21-inch torpedo tube. The UUM-44 was a 250 kiloton nuclear depth bomb. As it was launched, it breaches the surface with a solid fuel rocket, following its pre-planned ballistic trajectory. Once reaching its destination, the warhead would detach from the rocket and would sink rapidly to cause unimaginable destruction to the hostile sun. Being a nuclear warhead, accuracy was needed, but not a direct hit. Pressure waves from the blast would cause catastrophic damage to a deep diving boat. Luckily, Subrock never got the chance to be used in wartime or combat, so all 285 of them were decommissioned after the Cold War ended. Imagine, for one moment, you are hunting an enemy sub from a distance, you hear a launch transmit, and the next you are being crushed by the immense pressure of water rushing into your played a crucial role in the war effort for both the Axis and the Allied powers. The German U-boat, or Underseeboot, submarines were particularly effective in the Battle of the Atlantic, 
that were ultimately defeated by a combination of technological advancements such as radar and sonar and improved tactics by the Allies. As technology advanced, so too has the capability of the submarines. Today's subs are equipped with highly advanced sonar and stealth technology, making them difficult to detect and track. Nuclear-powered submarines, first introduced by the US in the 1950s, can stay underwater for extended periods of time and have a greater range than conventional diesel entrance submarines. The Thresher had a length of 252 feet and had a beam of 31 feet. It had a displacement of 3,080 tonnes surfaced and 3,500 tonnes submerged. It was powered by S5W nuclear reactor and was capable of reaching speeds of over 20 knots while submerged. She was equipped with six 21-inch torpedo tubes and could carry a total of 25 torpedoes. Additionally, it had a crew of 129 sailors, including nine officers and 120 enlisted men. The ships to come to assistance were the Naval Research Laboratory's acoustic research vessel, Rockville, which had a trainable search sonar able to lock onto and pick up a specific frequency loaded into the mainframe. USS Allegheny, an auxiliary fleet tugship. USNS Mission Capistrano, a tanker. Prevail, an auxiliary general ocean surveillance ship with RV Atlantis II, USNS Robert D. Conrad, and USNS James M. Gillis, three oceanographic research vehicles with their deep camera systems and advanced sonar capabilities. The Bathyscaphe Trieste was also brought in by the USS Point Defiance dock landing ship and found wreckage and parts of Thresher at a depth of 8,400 feet, almost five months later. At 6.30pm, 10th of April, the commander of the Atlantic Submarine Force sent word to Portsmouth Naval Shipyard to begin notifying the crew's family members that they were missing. The first to be let known was the captain's wife, Irene Harvey. I've come to this conclusion uh, for two reasons. Uh, first of all, a salvage vessel recovery, uh, which is on the scene, uh, sighted an oil slick, and uh, as they followed this slick and examined it, uh, we found evidences of cork and plastic, uh, which are used in the uh, internal construction of submarines uh, of this type. And second uh, reason is that uh, even though there might have been a con communication failure, or that the ship might have, the submarine might have gotten out of position in respect to the Skylark, the rescue vessel which was accompanying the submarine on its tests, surely in the interim there, uh, there would have been opportunity uh, for the Thresher to have established communication in one form or other. Uh, so I conclude with, with great regret and sadness uh, that this ship with 129 uh, fine souls aboard is lost. PM, 10th of April, the fast attack submarine USS Seawolf 
received a message to suspend current operations and proceed to the location of the Thresher sinking. She was only able to keep a steady 10 knots whilst transmitting communications data. The United States Submarine Force had to continuously update the commanders on the location and other classified information. After an hour passed due to low frequency data rate transmissions, they eventually sent their message on route to Thresher. They dove to a depth of 300 feet and made best flank speed. Over 25 knots. Six hours later, they went to periscope depth once again, around 10 to 40 feet deep, to commence checkup with the flotilla commander to not damage the comps and periscope masts. They had to reduce speed to 10 knots. As to reach the thresher at a quicker rate and to continue communication, they were permitted to breach the surface and travel at full speed. And 40 minutes after surfacing, they once again dove to 300 feet to make better haste. This communications update happened once again at 4 a.m. the next day. Once Seawolf arrived nearby the search areas for Thresher, she was notified of the ongoing communication frequency used by all who were there to assist. The chatter of both data and voice comms was so crowded that they were interfering with one another. This interference was a continuous major problem throughout the search by Seawolf. By 8am, they spotted possible red debris from the periscope, thought to be a life jacket of that colour. They circled back three more times with no more successful sightings of any more debris. The Seawolf was inside the search area of another Navy ship, USS Roberts, who sailed into the site of the sub and kindly accepted data of the sighted object. Once completed, they dove for two hours to search submerged towards their own location. Once reaching their main dive search location, they submerged to 300 feet to start the first deep dive to locate USS Thresher at 10.32am. As she went deeper, the USS Seawolf set itself to patrol quiet, calling Thresher every 10 minutes on the underwater acoustic telephone, which was powered by acoustic waves instead of electromagnetic waves. At 11am, Seawolf sampled the radioactivity of the surrounding seawater, which listed as 10 times above background levels. As she reached test depth at 1,600 feet at 11.30am, still calling out to Thresher, but with no luck over several minutes, they raised their depth to 400 feet and once again sampled the radioactivity of the seawater which indicated 20 times the local background levels. Both times they sampled the water were both made in error, and knew it to be in error. There was no radioactivity present in the water. At 11.52am, 
Seawolf sonar picked up an active track of a target 6,000 feet, almost two kilometers away, behind and to the right of her. She eventually got closer to the contact source at distance of 5,700 feet at bearing 130 degrees. Travelling towards this direction, distance on sonar jumped down to 4,980 feet. Two minutes later, the range on the contact was listed as 9,480 feet. The range discrepancies believed were due to having two contacts on sonar at the same bearing, and losing the first at a distance of 3,000 feet, and at the same time acquiring the second one. The main issue was, is that the sonar equipped on Seawolf is mounted topside of the hull, which loses contacts directly beneath them, depending on water depth and down angle as she passes over. At exactly 12.11pm, 11th of April, the USS Seawolf heard an active sonar ping on their receivers at 23.5kHz, in both manned sonar and radio rooms aft and stern of the site. As their sonar was set to passive listening, they could confirm that the ping was not an echo from their own system. During a period of 20 minutes, Seawolf was transmitting continuous requests to Thresher to intermittently turn off and on their sonar, requesting that they steadily key their pings. Seawolf was hearing an interrupted keying of sonar and underwater telephone, maybe dashes, but no particular numbers was heard thanks to the surface destroyers causing too much interference with their search sonar. Seawolf surfaced at 12.36pm to send reports and to request silencing of active search sonar from the destroyers to aid in the listening. This was the end of Dive 1. One hour later, Seawolf requested permission to start another deep dive and the request was immediately granted. During the second dive, Seawolf disconnected and unplugged all her own active sonar to be sure they were emitting no signal whatsoever. At 400 feet, they tried once again to establish comms with Thresher. Using UQC to transmit, Seawolf stated to Thresher, if you hear my transmissions, key your underwater telephone. Within a minute, they heard three 23.5 kilohertz pings on both receivers. Seawolf once again repeated themselves, if you hear my transmission, key your underwater telephone. More UQC to Thresher, receiving 23.5 notes. Seawolf felt sure they heard two separate sonar tones, one at 23.5, which sounded very sharp and had a clear tone, and one at nearly 24 kilohertz which had a fuzzy, modulated single that sounded very much weaker than the other. This could be due to the Doppler effect. A minute later, they heard two more pings at 23.5. Seawolf called to Thresher to request them to send five dashes. All previous messages to Thresher were repeated four to five times to be sure they can hear, if they can hear. This continued on several more times with more pings being heard and issues with more destroyer echo ranging interference with the search. Now it is unknown from the sequence of events that it was truly Thresher that was sending the replies. 
The constant and overbearing search pings from the surface search vessels could have confused the effort to search the area. Seawolf was always needing to request the surrounding ships to quiet down and end the noise created by their own sonar, but to no avail. At this time, we knew the possible causes of the sinking, but are unsure whether these events were even Thresher at all. There is possibility that Thresher was stuck at a specific buoyancy that caused her to stop sinking for a time, unable to raise herself from between the crush depth and test depth. The gradient in the thermocline caused many difficulties in Seawolf contacting Skylark from further than 200 feet. Possibly running on their remaining battery power, but eventually consuming all this energy and creating the sonar pings to be heard. Which is possibly why, after a time, only banging could be heard on the passive sonar. Now in online search forums, there are a lot of doubts whether or not this was Thresher at all, and just another searching ship causing too much noise. Many believe that due to this info being classified for so long, there was much info redacted by the government. Thanks to the efforts of a retired Navy analyst and his countless freedom of information acts and requests, the US Navy is finally releasing papers on the sinking and top-secret information previously withheld is now being released to the public. It has been over 50 years since the sinking of USS Thresher, and the friends and families of all those who perished in this tragic event. These papers could finally help answer an unending question, and give a conclusion that all the families of those on board need and desire.
Drown some 